You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera and everything in between. If you have a piece of hunting gear or a piece of hunting equipment that needs a battery, Interstate Batteries has got you covered. You can go to a local retail store or you can go visit online at interstatebatteries.com. They have thousands of local retail shops all over the U.S., so you can go there as well. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hey guys, welcome to Land and Legacy Podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith. We're co-owners of a consulting company called, go figure, Land and Legacy. This is your number one podcast resource for all things land. Each week we're breaking down topics from land management, habitat management, conservation, farming practices, and real estate. We hope you guys enjoy it. All right, guys, welcome back to another Land Lakes podcast. Adam here. Matt's here. Uh, we hope you guys are excited, ready for another um, hunting-specific podcast. Uh, this week we've got Matt and I are talking on kind of hunting strategies. Decision-making. Decision-making, and then we got uh, Kyle and Frank doing their own little deal over on the other podcast. So go Absolutely. check it out, uh, kind of one of their recent Wyoming nebraska um bird hunts um so head over there and check them out um before we get started just want to thank stratton seed company for making this podcast possible uh, if you guys aren't aware go check out gostratonseed.com or you can go to shoplandandlegacy.com to check out the seed uh, varieties that they offer so matt we're right in the heat of. I hope we're getting away from the heat and putting summer the behind first, us. <laughs> the first actual cold front bearing yes. down on the Ozark Mountains of southern Missouri. We've had in the past a couple cool days where it just, you know, got a little bit cooler, maybe, maybe 8, 10 degrees, but it was higher than what it sh- still should have been, you know, the days prior. So it was pretty normal September days that we had in the past like where you you were successful in tagging the doe we talked about last week but literally this weekend is going to be cold front we're talking 63 64 as a high and for us at this time of the year that's nice that is exactly what you're looking oh yeah for. and I, so i pulled up my 10-day forecast over yep. on the weather underground app and um next friday the high is Forecasted to be 59 and the Stop low it. of 40. Oh, lordy. I'm gone. You're here, right? Yep. Well, you better get your booty in a tree because oh, that 59? 59 is the high. And then so, like, if we're looking at from today, it's 74, 54, 80, 54, 65, 47, 69, 44, 70, 47, 72, 56, 72, 47, 59, 40 drops yeah so and and that right there i think is one of the most important things i was talking to a gentleman out of uh, maryland actually last night called and we're just kind of talking about cold front because what what we're experiencing um this weekend they will also be experiencing more at the beginning of their week uh, as it moves across uh from west to east and he's like you know what what kind of sign stuff should i be looking for when it comes to reading that cold front and what we often talk about is that drastic, that sharp, quick change between temperatures when that cold front moves through. So if you've got a, a high of, let's say, 85 one day, and then the next day it's 70, 72, that's really appealing, those yeah. big, quick changes. I would much rather, like, all next week it's cool, which is great, but I want those changes, those quick changes. So if it's... You know, I, what, I like mentioned it off. 59. So, like, yesterday the heat index was 104 here. Yeah. And today the high is 78. Yeah. It's a great day to be hunting. Um, and it stays in the low to mid-70s. 
it warms up on Saturday to 80, but then Sunday drops in the high as 65. Sunday's mm-hmm. a day I'd want to be hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. If And this is for the guys that are, uh, your days are limited. Right. Um, which most of us are. <laughs> Shoot, you and I, we, Liter- I feel like we're pretty blessed because we have the ability to hunt kind of on a on a little bit loose schedule um, with, with doing real estate and traveling heavy during the spring and winter yeah being self but we still don't get done no i mean let, let's look at tonight tonight i was well today i was in the office you were in the real estate office and then you were working from home yeah we're jumping down here to hunt this afternoon you're gone tomorrow and saturday then i leave sunday and monday for another trip and then we're back together. So, I mean, our schedules. And then we leave the next week. Uh, I'm going to Mississippi, and you're going to Virginia. I'll be gone for like six days, and you'll be gone for two or three. Yeah. And it's like, so <laughs> it doesn't always add up, even though it sounds like we hunt a lot. Man. Uh, we, we we hunt about one or two days a week we, yeah. is, is yeah. what it's been uh, averaged out right now. We'll hunt a little bit harder, and even last fall, we didn't hunt that. We hunted two to one to two days a week, depending on the week. There were some weeks we didn't even hunt. No, no, because it wasn't worth it. We didn't see these temperature swings like we're seeing, we're talking about today and this coming week. There wasn't anything to get excited about. Not to say that you can't kill deer when you don't have those. Yes, the deer are still out in the woods. There's a chance. But, again, it goes back to what we always try and talk about from a habitat standpoint is just being efficient with your time. Same thing. If you're spending your time in the tree... Yes, there's other, you know, advantages and, and, and ways to enjoy being in the tree stand, but you kind of want to see stuff, too. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> it's kind of it, you want to make sure the juice is worth the squeeze. And, and so with the hunting, it's like my wife always asks me, well, did you see anything? And I always want to say, oh, absolutely great night in the stand. But sometimes it isn't. And it's like, no. And then I hear the, well, that wasn't worth it. And I'm like, yeah, I know. You're right. Yeah. And that hurts. <laughs> Maybe she needs to go listen to the uh, podcast on... No, she does. Yeah. She totally does. Yeah. So, tonight we're headed in. Um, the last the last night we were out, I shot a doe. Um, Almost a week ago. Oh, well, it was a week ago, wasn't okay. it? Okay. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And... Uh, so, so, there you go. It was one of those where um, we kind of had to run and gun. We were, we were trying to... Uh, trying to find the right spot we'd been we got skunked the first two times out and we're like no nope, this changing it up we've been playing it very passive but we're gonna go shoot something tonight so yeah. we went to a food plot we know we knew deer were we had a decent wind and we made it happen um now tonight is kind of a similar situation the wind is supposed to be north switching to northeast um so north wind switching to light and variable yeah. <laughs> um it's supposed to be a little bit stronger but we're we're here you know we're we're driving to the property right now recording and there's native grasses in the road ditch and they're not moving much so it's a pretty calm day um so that tells us either we're going to hunt close to a creek in the bottoms or we're going to get up top um we're going to have to really consider thermals in a night like tonight because it looks like it's pretty there's a little bit of a breeze now i see but for the most part, it looks like we're going to have to really focus on, on where our scent's going. And that's another part we want to discuss before we jump out of the truck. This is going to be a two-part. You're not going to know this difference, but you're going to hear part of this podcast before our hunt and part of it after our hunt. So you're getting kind of a before uh, and after, a, a pre-hunt, post-hunt. A scary look into our mindset, a decision-making of how do we, how do you choose a tree stand to hunt? What are the conditions you're we're tossing around in our head to make that final decision? And no, we don't always get it right because conditions change. The weatherman doesn't always get it right. And, you know, sometimes the wind and temperatures, they just they do funny things in different topography. So that's what we're what's what we're considering. Yeah, so we've got basically three stands, three places that we're weighing out. We've got two saddle setups and then we have a tree stand on a food plot set up um and it's actually the food plot it's one of the the food one of the food plots we're talking about hunting is the stand is right on the food plot it had soybeans this summer um that got 
browse pretty hard and then had heritage blend planted midsummer uh, that did pretty good. And then it got sprayed in late summer because of the crabgrass, and we drilled the Legacy Blend. Well, it's a ridge top that's been plowed for years and years because it's on the family farm. And the fall food plot is, is there, but it's not flourishing because we just haven't had much rain at all. And so uh, the other side is we, uh, so we've got that stand. The biggest thing that we have to consider with this stand is where is the scent going to go when the wind stops blowing right at dark? Yes. And That's a huge is, consideration. Is we're kind of right on the crest of the hill, and it's it's a very pl- – where we're at in the Ozark Mountains, it's more plateaus than steep ridges. And so this area is very plateauish, And uh, so it's a, a flat-topped ridge, and it could very easily – go to the south with that north breeze or if that breeze stops it could fall back down to the north slope filter back across the food plot where obviously you're wanting to shoot and that's where your target deer are going to be yeah and so that's our biggest biggest dilemma right now is what's going to happen to our scent and it's one of those that it's just it's too early in the season to push the envelope and it's too early in the season to think ah whatever we'll just do it you know there's a good breeze right there yeah that, that, that but, looks it, like but that's the that's the thing is you got to pick up i mean you you've got to anticipate the weak times it's just like when you're planting a food plot you have to anticipate drought you have to anticipate hard times when you're picking a a, a stand and evaluating the conditions yeah northeast is probably going to blow relatively like a northeast if it's steady and if it's strong enough wind but we're not dealing with that today and 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 we know at basically dusk, we're not going to be dealing with that at all. It's going to start to really slow down and settle. And so we have to keep that in mind in the decision making. Northeast sounds great. And if you yeah. don't evaluate uh, it. That was a, this right here is a great, great example. Where we're parked on the gravel road trying to test the wind is it's predicted uh, northeast wind or shifting to a northeast. But right now the wind we're getting is a northwest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of goes with. One thing that we've started doing this year uh, is carrying, I've got this little scent thing, and a, a lot of guys are using milkweed. Um, but it's, and it's light it's and fluffy. and Light carries. and fluffy and carries. And so we're giving the, learning. We've always done this, but now we're doing it more visually because we're carrying these little uh, scent floaty things, let's Cotton just say. Swab. <laughs> and uh, basically we're looking at it and we're going, okay, well, the wind is predicted, it's forecasted at northeast, but for some reason the way the wind comes across the comes across the landscape, it's when you sit that stand, a northeast wind actually acts as a northwest wind. So you have to account for things like that. Um, and sometimes you can plan it out, you can you can look at the slope and you can say, Oh, it's gonna do this. But honestly, that's why it takes years sometimes to learn a property and learn the conditions. Sometimes you just need to sit it and yeah. be like, oh, well, this is actually how the wind reacts when I'm actually in the trees. And and we, this is what it reacts. We learned that this year from the very first set of the year. Yeah, sure did. We, uh, we went to a plot we call Paradise Point, and it was a predicted southeast wind. Steady southeast wind as well. And it acted as a southwest wind where we were. Uh, I'm still a little bit irritated about that set because we went in, that was the best that was one of the best food plots we had yep. as far as good deer in the area. Donuts was there. Oh, Have donut. we ever told anybody that we named that, or are we just calling donuts? I don't know. Everyone's don't know. probably seen it. They follow along on social media. The, the real big deer that watched and posted throughout the summertime. We donuts. just called him Tall 8 on the <laughs> Hit List podcast, but we called him Donuts because Donuts makes us go nuts. <laughs> um, it's a little office joke, the TV show The Office. Uh, and so Donuts make me go nuts. People were trying to f- get us to name him, and we weren't naming him. And I'm like, oh, it's making people go nuts. And so then I thought of the the line, Donuts, donuts make makes us go nuts. So there you go. sure enough, it's called Donuts. And uh, anyway, really great deer. We went in there, and the wind ended up being southwest. We kind of uh, we set through it because where we believe the deer coming out of 
It was not blowing that way, but it was still not the ideal situation that we were hoping for. Um, and so that's one of those that we're going to chalk up and go, okay, southeast wind is uh, either going to have to be stronger or we're going to have to wait for leaves to fall off before we can mm-hmm. get in there. And that, that plays a humongous impact, especially in topography, the way that the air sets, settles, and moves through the treetops. Man, when you when you get into late fall or, or you know leaf drop, it changes the game. Maybe you're going to get some truer winds that blow. Yeah, like I said, maybe maybe in that uh, that food plot where it was blowing southeast, but actually reality it was southwest. Maybe when the leaves fall, we'll actually get that southeast. Yeah. But early season, no, it, it ain't going to do it. There stands that we don't hunt until leaves are on the ground because of that, uh, because it gets way too swirly in there uh, in those in those sets. We're wasting our time. Another one, another reason to not be huge fans or thin these trees, but if you're hunting around evergreens, specifically eastern red cedar, it can get real swirly no matter what time of the year because of the amount of wind-blocking uh, capability that those trees have. It's sometimes it's almost like a vacuum. Like, it's just like yeah. it sucks in there, it stays in there, and then when you get a big gust of wind, it just, like, rushes out and kind of spins and swirls and goes everywhere. You're like, oh, what the heck? Yeah, I like, I, I picture, like, Plinko, the way it moves, the wind moves through it, and then if you're, if you've got a north wind, you're on the south side, you're thinking, well, it'll just blow right through the trees and go back and head to the south, but yeah. sometimes it goes over and has this, like, whirlpool effect. Right. Um and ends up pulling back into the tree. So definitely a lot of things to consider when you're selecting your stand, no matter what time of the year. Absolutely. Um, tonight, so we've got we broke down the food plot setup. The second setup is one that we're and we're actually on the road right now, almost to the spot we're looking at. Um, we planted soybeans. If you followed our Instagram pages and and our uh, YouTube channel at Land and Legacy. Um, you s- have seen a really good food plot of Stratton Seed Company uh, Game Changer 2.0s. At one point, the beans were chest high. Um, now they're loaded with pods, and they've done a lot of vining that they've kind of fallen over. Um, and so it's right next to the road. And unfortunately... Boy, look at that sun hemp. Um, unfortunately, uh, it's you can see it from the road. But the deer aren't going there until after dark because it's so close to the road. And we're pulling up now, and you can see those beans have tur- are starting to turn. They done turned. And uh, so we're looking at it going, <laughs> okay, is there any reason to hunt this? They turned hard. Um, yeah, they're already. Some of those Leave are already. Falling. Man, I can see pods from here. Oh, my gosh. And you can see it all the way across <laughs> the stinking field yeah. uh, from the road. So one thing, <laughs> we're going to be doing some trial and error. Yeah, last year Whoops. it was covered with heritage blend, and so you couldn't see the other side of the field. This year, the beans did so well, they out-competed the, um, <laughs> they out-competed the, uh, the heritage blend, and now we're going, oh, man. Uh, a person, a road hunter, an outlaw, he could shoot across that field if he wanted. And uh, it was a bad that was a bad learning that experience. That was a boo-boo. That was and a so uh, now we're going, all right, well, we got to figure out what to do. And we've got some stuff up our sleeve um, that we're going to be doing this fall, testing. Um, no, it does not include a robo-deer. <laughs> not yet, anyway. Yeah, we hope we don't uh, have to resort to that. And so we're, we're just kind of uh, checking this food plot out, and it appears that... Scratch that off the list. Scratch that <laughs> off the list. The beans have turned too much, and uh, so you got enough, you got enough cord right there to <clears> hop <throat> out. You want to see what it's doing right there in the bottom, up here at the T in the road? Just see what that wind's doing, reacting oh. like. Yeah, I can run over there. I I imagine it's, you know, when you look at the layout of this property, you think that this bottom runs north to south, but it actually runs northwest to southeast. Mm-hmm. So a northeast wind blows it back into the end of the trees where most of the deer are coming from so you have to get real real uh trusting but, on, but that's on what a, wind that's a great you know uh, example though of in times in certain situations if you have a gentle north wind and it's a cooler day 
based on the thermals, you're not going to get it blowing more northeast. It's going to hug closer to that creek if the water's flowing, um, especially and and coming and the cool air coming off the side of the mountain. It's going to push it more back behind you. So, which northeast you don't have that worry. It's more northwestish, but it just every day de- it de- totally dependent on the conditions that day at that moment. And you can't just look at what's going to happen the time at the the point in which you go to the tree stand. It's that whole afternoon and evening situation it's yeah. not just fair to say oh three o'clock it's this well you know the last half hour is probably going to be the best you need to be checking that time frame just as importantly and as well as your exit when you're walking out because you know not every property has got killer um you know entry and exit we get that you don't want to try and set it up to where you're you can get in easy um and and not too aggressive but not every property can do that. So make sure you're you're checking your winds when you're going in and out too. Just yeah. as important. So uh one th- and speaking of that, it's important also to note of the difference between and and this is kind of our second place if if those beans and we decided, you know what, we're going to go in there. The wind being northeast, we're going to be hunting ridge top that blows it back towards the bottom, another bottom we talked about hunting. But uh the the difference is is for us you can't ever hunt your property boy you'd you'd drive yourself mad if you were hunting your property and saying well i never want my wind to go that direction because eventually you're going you're you're really cutting your farm huntable or usable space as Kyle and Frank talk about so much We'll say usable spaces in the space that you have to effectively hunt. Um, you're really cutting down your chances of hunting a majority of the property because you're like, I never want my scent to go that way. So f- specifically on this property, our scent's headed towards one of the bottom fields that we have a food plot. But it's a, it's a lot further away than if we went and just sat on the bottom. So it's the difference between an immediate threat and a deer just being aware of your presence. It's like... For example, this prop, this spot we were talking about hunting, there's a house probably 200 yards away. You know deer are used to smelling people around that house uh, because people I live can, there. People <laughs> live there, and I can guarantee you they're not sitting there going, well, hey, the wind's out of the north. We better close up the windows. Um, and so you definitely, we consider that and going, okay, well, the deer are not going to never smell me i just don't want them to be like whoa whoever that is whatever that is the predator that i'm smelling is right here yeah no doubt and that's what scent control is to us of not a we don't live by this philosophy that we're we're going to get away with whatever we want whatever product we use or whatever items we use to control our scent um completely eliminates it there, there is nothing as scent elimination or scent control. It's it's like scent mitigation. Like <laughs> we're trying to minimize the effect. Um, and the biggest thing to do that with, though, is blowing the wind in the right direction. It's yes. just that simple. And you talked about you know, the usable space of a farm. And here here's the other important factor is, yes, we want great habitat across the entire farm. But... We have to realize if your farm and the property and the vegetation types present there are diverse, then you're going to have deer <laughs> using the whole farm throughout the whole entire year, but they're not going to be in, let's say, the southwest corner the entire year. They That might be really good, like, summering habitat. That might be really good... Um, you know, place for late winter. It just depends on the habitat itself. So you can't just say, oh, I, I want my deer never over there, uh, like never at any point of the year, I'll blow it that way. Well, if that's, that's the case, then you have probably really crummy habitat over there, and it's a waste of space. You just have to know where your deer are coming from and what por- part of the farm they're utilizing at that time of the year. That's important. That's definitely one thing that always frustrates me is a... Um, is when somebody says they don't want to plant um, something that's trail. there's they don't want to plant something that's beneficial to the wildlife as a screen because they don't want wildlife by where they're walking in, 
and I'm like always against that. For example, I've gone on and on about this, but miscanthus grass, um, specifically miscanthus gigantus, um, I see that becoming more and more popular with people planting as a screen. Um, and I've even seen it advertised as phenomenal quail cover, but um, if a quail is using that, then that's because that's all they have to use. They would much prefer a, there's a reason why a lot of quail guys like little blue stem. Um, they have the ability to be, to have cover, but jump up and fly out of it quickly. And, uh, so for example, um, talking about usable space and the screening, it's like I want to plant shrubs and native grasses and forbs in combination as a screen. I mean, we helped, we worked with Pure Natives to create a, a blend that's got taller species for screening uh, that also provide benefit to the wildlife. Then you mix that with some shrubs, and you have great habitat as a screen. Now, why is a deer going to be up at that? Uh, I've done enough work on the rest of the farm to where. That row of shrubs isn't the best habitat, isn't where they want to spend their time. But at the same time, late winter after deer season, there's still, there's still forage available there for the deer to where now they can move out. I don't have to worry about keeping them away from that area now because I'm not hunting anymore. They're still getting the benefit from the shrubs, the woody browse. And uh, not only that, but it's providing phenomenal habitat for cottontail rabbits or even songbirds, uh, songbirds, bobwhite quail, whatever it is, um, and so that's that's definitely one thing that, that that's the thing is if 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 your screen is the most attractive thing on your property and it's on a border and it's ten foot wide and runs three hundred yards, think about the square footage of that actual screen itself versus the square footage of the rest of the property. It's probably pretty minimal, and it's like. That can't be the the highest value of uh, habitat on the place. So if where it do is, you want to go? That's an issue. We got to make a decision. Yeah, we do. Um, uh, now I'm it's a little torn. It's down to Look two plots. View. Lady Cutoff or Deer Cane Ridge. I'm thinking. I'm I'm a little worried about that wind on Lady Cutoff going down. Into the in, cut, into the where it was pretty intense on the well, on the if, cut. If it w has any east to it, it's blowing over onto the neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um. But I, I mean, I'm not seeing a ton of east. What, what you got right there? Oh, we'll see. That was like straight north there. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's which it's supposed to be straight north until and then starting to shift northeast. at five to six. I think the safest bet, maybe not the most productive, but the safest would probably be Deer Cane Ridge. Mm-hmm. And so thinking through that process again, going back to, yeah, it's it's early. Um, we know there's a good pattern at Glady Cutoff, and there's gonna be deer there, but it doesn't it doesn't matter if you're gonna <laughs> mess it up or have the possibly the yeah. chance of messing it up. Dang, I would rather I really go. I just wanted to hunt out of a saddle. Though. I know I did too. <laughs> um, if I knew we could get in a good tree over there and, and it be safe, well, we'd be going. But I'm just I'm a little worried. Well, that the other thing is the, too. In the bottom, we already have the one food plot. Head back that way. Um, the uh, sorry, I was telling Matt to to drive. It's it's a little weird to record while trying to make decisions on where to go. Like legit, uh, we are really making a, a decision right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Like look at that one. Look at these uh -huh. leaves. That's, they're that's western. They're, they're, yeah, they're drifting down from from west. So uh, it's amazing how much burn down there's been in the understory, though. Oh yeah. Like it's not. We haven't had a frost, but you can see that a lot of the herbaceous plants have matured and have gone now to. They're starting to break down and they're no longer green. So you're starting to be able to see up into the timber a little better, um, which is unfortunate. It shouldn't be like that. We should fix it. Uh, it should be a lot. more more diversity, keeping things standing. But specifically where we're at right now, we're looking at closed canopy hardwoods. Um, you know, the thing about that area, we've already got stands hung, um, and so we're just going in and setting up. Uh, but com comparing the two areas that we're at, that, were, that we've considered, 
three. One, the beans were, and I realized I was not, I misquoted when I said it was Stratton's 2.0 game changers. It was the strategy beans. That's why they're turned. Oh, yeah. Because um, I was, you know, in, in the head, you know, and looking at the Cuddy Link pictures that have been coming through, um, up top those beans, which are the 2.0s, are green. still green. Yes. Um, it's the strategies that <laughs> have matured. Now they're loaded with pods. My but, word, uh, they are. Yeah, so I hope turkeys get in there and <laughs> eat yeah. them up. Um, and so uh, you crazy in the head, boy? Save them for we've the got green, yeah. green, forage soybeans in one food plot, and we have sprayed food plot that's not going to be impressive, but we do have probably we probably have acorns on the ground, and we probably got a, a deer um, that's of the. Large size, small antler oh, size. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I totally Coming forgot. to this plot. And yeah. so um, Pat, the the mm -hmm. deer that is a cactus buck, is coming in. And uh, so there's a good chance we, we might see we might see that deer tonight. And hopefully Matt doesn't blow it because it looks <laughs> like a horse. It do, well, yeah, that would be really embarrassing. Yeah. So. Um, well, I think that's. I mean, I think that's the that's the best route to go, safest route to go. We've got uh, a pretty good, you know, five six day stretch where if we want to jump in a tree, we can do that. Um, we just don't need to push it. Chad's coming in this weekend. You'll be gone, but him and I will jump in a tree, and then vice versa. When I leave, hopefully you get you guys can get an afternoon together in the tree, and uh, and then it'll be rocking and rolling beginning of next week. That's right. So. I can see a lot of our oaks are already there's starting to see some brown leaves mm -hmm. mixed in and it's so dry here. It's very so dry. dry that a lot of our plants are so stressed that they're already it's I don't imagine it's gonna be a real showy, a real beautiful um leaf transition this fall. You're gonna probably see some fall early because they're just stressed. And so anyway, we're headed into Amarillo or Deer Cane Ridge as it was formerly called. Um and we'll see what we uh, put our eyes on this afternoon, um, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be hopefully back in a little a big bit. Doe group, yeah. So we're gonna take a little bit of a pause, and we'll be back with you guys real soon. All right. Well, we're back, back in the truck after the after the hunt. It sucked. So <laughs> we'll catch you guys next week. Yeah. See ya. <laughs> yeah. Right. So. Uh, a lot of things can be learned, even on hunts where you don't you don't see anything. No, totally. Um, I think that's a big misconception as well. For sure, I and I think uh, if you go into it looking at it f with the must kill mindset, um, you can easily go, man. Well, tonight was a failure, but we learned we learned something that probably will will. Uh, paved the road for the rest of the fall um and so if you dial it back just a few months july is usually that time frame for me when i start looking in the trees and uh i'm looking in the trees and i'm just observing i'm going okay what's this fall going to hold and and i'm look i'm looking in the trees for for one thing and one thing in particular and that's acorns and uh because Believe it or not, folks, deer don't eat hickory nut. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're not looking for squirrels at that point. Um, but here's the, 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 so July, August, there wasn't a lot of acorns visible in the trees from down in the making plant food plots or cruising around checking cameras. We looked several times and took notice of it a lot. There was to. not a lot of acorns visible. But um, what we don't do or haven't done is just pack binoculars around and There's deer. stare around. And that looks like a buck, too, Two don't it? There's a bunch of them, honestly. Holy cow. Four or five. There's one even further down to the right. Yeah. Huh. Look like a big doe group. Yep. They old doeies. Yeah, I saw that front one, a big lead doe, and I thought, boy, that thing's got a bigger body. That might might be a buck but uh you know with with uh studying looking for the acorns uh we didn't see a lot visible so compare that to last year which was last year was the best crop i've 
ever seen. You uh, you were walking on marbles. What appeared to be marbles, yeah. That, that was, was unreal. Oak, white oak, spe- uh, specifically acorns. They were everywhere. And they ate deer, didn't really eat food plots a whole lot. Well, now this year comes around, and we're not seeing a lot, and it's like, well, we're probably going to be shooting deer on food plots. I'm honestly a little bit relieved that there are acorns mm-hmm. because food plots are struggling in this drought. You, you can't do anything. You can never, you know... If you look into the future and say there's going to be rain, I'm going to time it right. I'm going to be able to know that there's there's a solid food source there. We intentionally, you know, do our best and plan for it and try to do planting techniques and diversity and things like that to improve our successes. And don't get us wrong. Yes, there's there's germination, there's forages of all types in there. But it's just a poor stand right now, and yeah. it's struggling. It's not filled in. Right no. now you'll see green lines, but they're not filled in. And where there's on the edge of the food plot where they're dealing with the, with the trees taking in competition there, moisture, taking in nutrients, and they're competing for that, they're, they're almost non-existent. Yep. And it's a great reminder of, oh, well, you know what? If you look around outside the food plot, you know what is growing? natives mm-hmm. and um as we prepare for this winter one of our conversations we just had this week with justin at pure air was what areas on food plots that are unproductive or not very productive there there are areas that are small food plots that are west or south facing slope where it's just like man let's just give it up we got the weeds under control now let's convert it back to something more productive and I think by doing that, we're going to see a lot better growth out of our food plots or these food plot areas because we're going to have native something that's perennial, that's got a lot better roots, root system, and can withstand the competition with, with the uh, mature trees in the area. No doubt. I think and this, this goes back to actually last weekend. We were at a field day up in uh, northern Missouri speaking, and a gentleman said something. Uh, I, I don't know if it's sidebar conversation or during a, a little uh, speak, speaking talk, whatever he was having. But um, he said something to the extent of, you know, when you look across a lot of farms and you have yield maps, and this goes, you know, we're making a comparison here between some ag fields that everyone's thinking about in their heads as well as food plots. But if you had nine out of ten years, one area of the farm or one food plot or portions of food plots that were lacking in production or just they struggled you kept you kept trying and beating your head against the wall and they were just poor sections of fields would you if and if that was an employee nine out of ten years and they were subpar would you fire them or keep them and it's like a lot of people need to fire some acres because how many how many times do we see it out on pictures and everything like that it's like without a doubt there's just too much competition. There's trees left in fields. They're unproductive it's areas. It's a wet area. It's a yeah. wet area. It just it's not food plot applicable. And so you you struggle, you struggle, struggle to make something that you know what? It's just not going to be it. And that's okay because we can have something else there that is native. That's right. Yeah. But it's just and, a good and, reminder. And that's fire. that's more beneficial to the wildlife. Yeah. Fire the areas that aren't that aren't producing. It's okay. There's something else that can be beneficial. That's a lot right. of the odd areas across farms, if it's even if it's just early successional habitat, wow, how fantastic is that? Yeah. So dial it back or crank it back over to the to the hunt. While sitting in the stand tonight, we didn't see a deer. Nope. Not we a heard one. a lot of squirrels. Yep. And the other thing that we heard the most was falling acorns. And very consistently from where we a sat down to very eye opening, ear opening yeah. set of going, Wow, there's a lot more acorns in this area than we thought. A ton. And that was the thing of when we were sitting there and, and there's been a lot of habitat work done here um in the past few years and we've had numerous successful hunts. I killed two deer basically off that ridge last year. You killed the year prior to that or two years prior to that. An incredible buck just off of that. Your brother, a year before that, had a shot on a great deer there. It's just one of those areas that's been really productive and only gotten better. And it's like, I know with without a shadow of a doubt, there is deer within 
150, 200 yards of us right now, but we're just not seeing them because they're on acorns. Like, it was just nonstop dropping, dropping, dropping. And I kind of sat there and was like, what? How do we miss? How do we miss seeing these? Like, yeah. where were they? Way in the top. We checked. Yeah. Yeah. Way in the top. Very you cr- know, tippy crown. Uh, yes, and in, in the years that there's a what I would call a very abundant crop, you'll see them all the way down to the limbs that are close Everywhere. to the ground. Yep. And this year they just weren't. But it's a good reminder now that you know there's a lot that can carry in the crown that never that aren't produced in the lower limbs where we're going to see them. And, and, and when you have a, a ridge that is one, a hardwood ridge and a lot of white oak component into it, you think about it, that is, you know, for this short time, per- time frame, that's a lot of food on the ground, and it's highly attractive. Yeah. So that's what they're going to be on. Yeah, and so it's ever-changing food sources this year. Uh, with the drought especially, it's going to be chasing deer all around, and I would forecast that we're going to be spending a lot of time in the saddles, bouncing mm-hmm. around, and hunting two saddles. We're going to be hunting saddles and ridges and yes. tree saddles. Saddle uh, on saddle action. Because we're going to be having to bottleneck deer with natural natural bottlenecks that are um, occurring as deer are chasing acorns. And uh, so that's kind of the game plan now. Even though we were skunked tonight, it taught us a very valuable lesson for, that will use into the future uh into future hunts and through the remainder of deer season that mm-hmm. uh acorns are going to play a bigger part of the part of the equation than we originally thought and that's just because um we didn't get out and really scan and look the top of those treetops and i'm not even sure if we could see them and that's e- the thing because of where they're at i mean we were sitting in a uh, on a on a big ridge uh with a lot of big mature white oaks and uh they just don't have those lower limbs where you're like, oh, or a lot of lower limbs where you can really scan. Most of these acorns had to be held up top. Yeah, it would have been very, very tough to see, to see them up there uh, during the growing season or late in the growing season. But, hey, you know what? Valuable lesson to see that and make game plans from, from there on out. But you know, there's other areas of the farms that um, don't have that white oak component on there, on those ridges, and we've they're hitting food plots, and I think that's pretty pretty key. We're seeing that, you know, when you compare, let's say, uh, Ruby Ridge activity to yep. a Paradise Point. Paradise mm-hmm. Point, there's on that North Slope, just off the the food plot edge. There's white oaks everywhere there. Yeah, and it's like, hmm, well, they're kind of, you know, now we know where donuts might be. Exactly. You just uh, you you start to make some connections the more time you spend outdoors and in the tree. Um, there's a lot of scouting you can do, but again, trail cameras and, and looking at food plots. It's a great reminder. They don't tell you everything at all. No, they do not. And, and in fact, they, there's probably a lot more to learn by what's not occurring on the trail, on the images versus um, what you're seeing. Because, I mean, we, we always talk about prioritizing your work and prioritizing what's going on. And you look at a food plot, most food plots, we say this over and over, but most food plots on any farm is less than 5%. Mm-hmm. There are some. Um, where you have a little bit more, but almost always it's fi- less than 5%. Think about a trail camera. How much, what percentage are you seeing? Uh, less than 1%. Especially, most. yeah, and I think it really depends on the, the type of terrain and everything that you're on, the defining features, the land use of how accurately you can totally survey an area. But at this time of the year and in timber country, with a mediocre acorn crop, you're serving you're surveying such a small percentage of the property. It's like I mean you're not even close to two percent of the property that you're able to see. Oh yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to be on the game to be able to to really truly know what's going on and and, and pattern bucks. Like you know everyone I've gotten asked several times, hey is that is that deer still showing up? You guys still getting pictures of it? It's like. No, not really, but it doesn't alarm me though either. It's like, no, I mean, I kind of knew it. Like, I mean, it, I, I don't have a fear that he's not on the property using it. And it's like, well, don't you want to get pictures of it? It's like, you know what? Again, here's the balance of knowing the property, knowing the past history of a deer, and knowing when the time to strike on on him is. He's gonna make himself vulnerable, and we have the stands in place or can be in place when he does that. 
And so right now, if we try and push the envelope, we're probably going to put him on edge. That's right. I'll just back out and wait. Yep. Going to definitely put him on edge and overpressure other deer sure. uh, that we may not know of. Uh, it's just... <laughs> well, like like the st- before we even rec- uh, went to the tree today, we were talking about um, the, the Glady cutoff stand to go there, which the wind, honestly, I'm really glad we didn't because we got hit with northwest winds. Yep. We got hit with north winds. We got hit with northeast winds. All and a west e- wind, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and a west wind. Like, if, if we had had that same situation where we had to set up there, we would have been, you know, out of the game and, and ruined, or not ruined necessarily. I don't want to overuse that uh, or give a false, you know, idea of <laughs> what uh, your presence in an area will do. But, like, we would have alerted deer for sure that would have been hopefully coming to the food plot. So it's like, you know, we don't need to do that. We didn't need to take that risk. Let's just go elsewhere where it's going to be more consistent. And so what? We got skunk. We learned some more stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was a good sit. You know, I mean, speaking of cameras, trail cameras, yeah, we rely on trail cameras too much. A lot of people rely on trail cameras oh, it's too so much. it's so easy to do. What do you, if you could, if somebody could just say, trail cameras no more, they're outlawed. Yeah. Would you like that? Honestly, I it wouldn't it wouldn't pain me, truthfully. I just think about the amount of money we spend on batteries and cards and checking it, it them w- and things like that. It wouldn't bother me because again, go back to the decisions that we were making in the tree today. It was I know the food resources on these these places. I know I know their their attractiveness, I know their palatability, I know the cover that's around there. Even if I don't have deer on a camera going there, I still know the chances are really good and my wind's gonna do this in there and I can get in there and get out, not bump yeah. anything. It's one of those that's like, yeah, sure, you wouldn't like we wouldn't have the ability to go and watch fields and, and scout and observe and just put time in, in the yeah. field. Yeah. But we could get a pretty good idea. Man, there's there's a lot of scrapes. There's some big rubs in here. Mm-hmm. There's a good deer in this area. Um, and we know whatever. It's it's late winter. Uh, food plots are weak, but we've got a, a, a big area, a couple smaller clear cuts, wildlife openings, bedding thickets, whatever you want to call them. We know the deer here. Mm-hmm. And whatever good deer is in this area, we got a good chance of seeing them. I, I would make a – I'm going to make a bold statement and say that I think – trail cameras has dumbed down our ability to read sign number one but then number two has just like taken away our our just total woodsmanship we don't rely yeah. on just connecting dots from a habitat and a natural resource standpoint and just knowing our the game that we're chasing we want to just look at like day-to-day patterns and not like life cycles and traits and year to, you know these changes in food resources we just look at again oh what time was he there was it 7 30 or was it eight like do you need to get it like it's <laughs> to those yeah. details and, and we just we kind of miss and overlook all these other important things that could make us that much better of of a hunter i love well, them it's they're a, great it's but it's a little oof. bit like that i guess it's the mindset of you know you can scout for individual buck beds or individual beds and 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 that's all great that's that's how you want to hunt but i look at the land and i'm like that deer's bedding there or there's a deer that's bedding here why don't i try to figure out why he's bedding there and then not only that but expand upon that and make it to where instead of just being a great bedding area for one deer let's make a half acre full acre clear cut and go there's a several deer that can bed in that and uh Instead of trying to hunt the deer for how they move through the farm, try to manipulate the farm by improving the habitat going, okay, there's more deer now. There's more non-game species. I've improved the landscape for all these animals. Um, and and at the same time, I made my hunting better. Well, you said something there kind of important, and it kind of brings a couple things back together, is hunting that deer. And, and what we're talking about... It, it, if we had been chasing donuts <laughs> day in and day out right now, we would literally not have had the success that you had last week. See what we had been seeing, <laughs> or I guess minus tonight because we got skunked. But y- the thing is, if we had a sole focus of I'm just hunting that deer 
this year and all other management objectives of, of antlerless deer, this and that, if that was our sole focus of the farm, it would be a really lonely season because, again, yeah, he's not showing up on trail camera right now. We could go in and push and put a lot of pressure on the area where, truthfully, we know he's hanging out. But it's just, it's not a huntable situation right now. So let's just wait. But we do so much harm in, in I think we don't, we can't quantify the harm, but we'd harm our, let's say, our, ourselves and our, our skills when we're just relying on trail cameras to find individual deer and track individual deer rather than looking at deer patterns in general. That's right. That's right. And you said something earlier that made me kind of chuckle in my head. You talked about trail cameras dumbing down, kind of losing their woodsmanship. Deer in general make us kind of lose our woodsmanship because out of all the game animals that we hunt, it's one of those that's a little very, bit. It's so easy for, and we, we've talked about this with Kyle and Frank a lot too, is and, and other just diehard turkey hunters. Deer are, are individuals. Like, you can characterize them and see them as individuals from their unique set of antlers. Yeah. And, and I think that that portion of, you know, their characteristics changes the entire game of how people hunt, how people uh, get fixated on deer. But if you just, if you kind of know deer in general and, and look at, again, the overall patterns, the big picture of it, you could still be wildly successful. And, and I think overall meet the management objectives of a farm much you can execute on them with with an a plus rating versus just coming in a b if you're looking at again managing the population and not not the individual yeah and we, we've talked about that in the past too and that, and that is a big issue uh, or or a thing to keep in mind of of the focuses of of the population of the herd like you don't go you don't go to your forester and be like I want that tree to be the best tree it can be. We're going to do everything in the forest to promote that tree. You go and you say, I want to make this this timber stand, this unit, the yeah. best timber that it can be. That's it. Yeah. I want to make it as healthy as possible. Yeah. Um, and also, like, when I think of deer, too, compared to other game animals that you may be managing for mm-hmm. you could screw up a whole awful lot of things on a landscape and still have deer there oh my gosh yeah and and in a lot of cases if you went out with a chainsaw and you're like i'm gonna make this forest i'm gonna grow some trees and you just start doing a bunch of random stuff not knowing what species you're probably gonna end up making it better based on average of what the what the farms look uh, farms that we see and across the country is uh, the the best thing you could probably do on that farm is take a chainsaw on. <laughs> and just honestly throw caution to the, not caution from a safety standpoint, but from the other standpoint of just willy-nilly cut, cut, cut. Because guess what? Sunlight's coming in there. But yeah. y- the comparison basically is randomness in, in actually letting sunlight in to, okay, that improving deer uh, habitat. But the other comparison is, or the other side of it is, just look at suburban deer. Like Oh, yeah. People are, are it's a big thing right now, I'm chasing uh, suburban deer, and my gosh, there's some giants out there. Yeah, Absolutely that, that's incredible. Why it's deer. really hard to and ever horrible say, habitat. I'm the, yeah, yeah, horrible. kudzu. Kudzu, um, privet. And they're like, uh, hey, I mean, I'm the best unreal. deer manager in the country. Yeah. Well, it's hard to say that because somebody's going <laughs> to kill a lot bigger deer. What? Yeah. What? Dif- what de- by on what definition? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and there's there's a lot of things, obviously, that we talk on that, yes, improves all these different things. But that goes right back into the mission statement and the mindset of, man, we're, we're here to improve the land. Because we, we can make an immeasurable, a very measurable, drastic improvement and change to it. Yeah, absolutely. You can just transform uh, we can make your it eyes. to where there's phenomenal deer hunting, there's timber uh, income coming or down the road. It's healthier forest. You've restored a native landscape. Um, there is now Bob White quail abundant. There's cottontail rabbits. The farm is alive. At the same time, the landowner is getting to That's what our goal is. 
and uh, to focusing on white-tailed deer. So tonight, well, got skunked, but we learned something crucial, uh, a couple things. I mean, if somebody came and spent some time with us walking through the timber, I bet we, and I know we do because we do this with our clients a lot, we start to put on a different, help you put on a different set of lenses to look at the landscape. So oh, totally. we walked through the, and the we walked the through first the first couple of food plots, and what minutes. did we notice? Well, it's clear that in our neck of the woods with our soils, if it's dry, our food plots don't grow anywhere close to mature trees. We need to put in native vegetation in those areas because we're you, wasting you, our dollars. You said the food plots don't grow mature trees. You meant in and around the mature trees. In and around the mature yep. trees. So if you're trying to plant little bitty tenth or quarter acre food plots, which is a very common practice, little bitty kill plots, we love them. But if you're flirting with some some trouble, if you're doing these little bitty food plots next to big mature trees, um, especially and the you get woods. hit with you get hit with dry conditions, you're gonna struggle. And just that year of struggling opens up that seed bank or opens it up to where you can fight some weeds because nature's going to try and cover itself. If you've ever seen a tree, a hardwood tree, uproot itself like from a wind damage or, or storm damage or something like that, you know, that root wad is is really big. Like, it, it's, it takes up a lot of, like, dirt, like, in a circumference around the base of that tree. So, like, there's a lot of surface roots right there that's pulling moisture. And that's just, like, the, the massive ones. There's a ton, a huge extensive fibrous root system outside of that. That yeah. That's what's stealing the moisture from if, the food plot. If you're, if you're ever just wondering about the root system of a of a of a tree just go and try and dig a hole below it or a dig a post <laughs> below it and you're going to run into roots i almost guarantee it no because i don't want i don't want someone to comment on facebook like hey i broke my wrist <laughs> how'd they break their wrist <laughs> on the roots oh gotcha just going in with a shovel um and so yeah definitely like w- i just looked at that tonight going okay that's not growing great we tried it but you know, the last couple of years we knew it wouldn't grow, but we're trying to get some um, non-native species under control before we convert it back to natives. And I'm looking at that going, that south side going, that's a perfect candidate to get some native warm season grasses and forbs for a great bedding. Do some edge feathering on that north or on that south facing slope. We've got a great little bedding area, but let's plant clover right next to that little water hole so it's close to bedding. Uh, we can put a bedding thicket on the north slope just down the hill to where we've got bedding on both sides and it's close to a, an ideal little kill plot with a water hole next to it. Um, and then we work on the bigger plot on down the on down the ridge and work on our access there. So there's a lot of things to learn even on slow sets. And so we sat there a lot tonight, or I did. Listen to the acorns falling. Oh, going, totally. Oh, man. Well, we could probably miss a boat sitting on this food plot because this part of the farm, is a north slope or it's got a big north slope with lots Component. of acorns yep. and uh they're probably down the slope from us and you know what still a good sit still a fun sit and, yeah and that's the thing i don't i don't want people to think that oh these guys you know they they don't they don't know what they're doing when it comes to, when it comes to deer man we love love to promote properties for incredible whitetail habitat and we know that it makes a big difference but what we're saying is there's more to it than just that. Again, you could you could extrapolate out the whole idea of looking at the individual to the population and, and go further out to your property and say, I don't want to just look at this population or this species. I can promote other species by doing this, this, and this as well and make it truly a, a wildlife sanctuary from, again, you said making it alive, come alive, with songbirds, with uh, grouse, with quail, with rabbits, with squirrels. All this stuff can, from a healthy, developed property and plan, can really flourish. You didn't say butterflies. Oh, the butterflies and all the insects and all those good, lovely things. Yeah. But and, I, and, yeah. and so hopefully, you know, we got to wrap this up. But guys, go be, be watching the YouTube channel. You're going to see a lot more videos this fall hunts, different things. Not if we keep getting skunked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a lot of videos in the can to, that oh, I yeah. need to edit yeah, and release. So um, you guys go check it out on YouTube. Please subscribe, Land and Legacy. 
Like us on Facebook, Instagram if you haven't already. New hats in stock. Once again, whitetail, more stuff coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but go check it out. Uh, thanks again, guys. Hey, appreciate your guys' time. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Yep. Yeah.